Hi friends, it's Brittany Moses, and you're listening to the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast, the podcast at the intersection of faith, mental health, and wellness, where we get to dive into expert insights and the realities of those with lived experience to help us live more insightful, connected, and wholehearted lives. We understand that the views shared here are respectively held by each individual and is not a substitute for professional care or an alternative to seeking personal help from your clinician or provider and is ours to discern. So sit with us. This podcast episode is brought to you by UHSM HealthShare, a unique healthcare membership on a mission to create holistic wellness for the mind, body, and spirit. I'm honored to partner with UHSM and its community of faithful members. Together, we plan to create more awareness and programs around mental health and the role it plays in our overall balanced health. If you or someone you know is frustrated with their current health care, I encourage you to inquire about membership options at www.uhsm.com or call 1-800-900-8476. Friend, have you heard the news? I'm officially releasing my first book this summer with Dayspring Publishing. It feels wild saying that, but I have been behind the scenes writing away and it is happening. It's called Worthy, 50 Mindful Moments to Bring Peace and Clarity to Your Day. And honestly, it is the book that I've been wanting to read. Listen, have you found yourself feeling more anxious and overwhelmed in today's cultural climate? Has the modern social media world and hustle culture left you on a roller coaster of feeling insecure and inadequate no matter how much you do? Or do you tend to struggle with people pleasing in order to feel valuable and worthy? You are certainly not alone. Many of us have been struggling at the intersection of our faith and our mind in today's world. So whether you need a total digital detox or just a little more balance, I've truly aimed to gather the information and inspiration to help you feel a little more refreshed, more clear, and more at peace within each day. These 50 faith-inspired devotions are integrated with helpful psychological tips and insights to reset each day with a grounded mind and spirit. I wish you had this in your hands in front of you because you'll see that it has a beautiful, simplistic design with short yet impactful messages of peace and clarity, along with inspirational quotes and affirmations and mental health trackers, so readers will be able to declutter your mind, check in with your mental health, and focus on how to show up with intention for each day. In essence, this interactive devotional is designed to help you, one, practice a more grounded and internal sense of security. Two, realign with your values and convictions to show up confidently as your true self. Three, refresh your faith with the hope and peace of God's word. Four, develop the psychological tools to better cope with anxiety and overwhelm. And five, redefine the necessary boundaries for your overall mental, emotional, and spiritual health, and so much more. Within Worthy, get ready to reclaim your days with a sound mind to show up confidently for the life God has called you to live. You can grab the book on Amazon or dayspring.com or Barnes and Noble and really wherever books are sold. And the links to order will be in the show notes below. So be sure to check it out. Now let's dive into today's show. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. So glad you could spend your time here with us today. I'm super excited because I know that we've talked quite a bit about trauma and trauma responses here, like going into fight or flight mode. 
But today we're gonna focus more on a lesser talked about trauma response, which is the fawn response. And I'm talking about that with my friend Kobe. Um, Kobe, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm excited to chat with you guys. Anytime we're talking about, of course, faith and mental health, I'm there. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm ready. Totally. We were just talking about how the faith and mental health world is actually kind of a small world. Um, but there, it's so encouraging to see others like you who yeah. really have made it a mission to talk about mental health in, in faith spaces, um, yeah. to destigmatize who have both the lived experience and the academic experience and the practice, which yeah. is what you're doing. And so it's always so great to have other voices that are doing this work in this space. For sure. We're definitely stronger in numbers. Absolutely. Exactly. So tell us, for those who aren't familiar, tell us a little bit more about yourself and what led you into the work that you're doing today. Yeah. So I am Kobe Campbell. I am a licensed clinical mental health counselor in Charlotte, North Carolina. And this is also where I have my mental health and wellness practice uh, called the Healing Circle. And we specialize in trauma for Christians and we provide EMDR, psychodrama, sociometry, things of that like to give people a more embodied experience of healing and of connection with God and themselves. And I love what I do, but honestly, I came to this space. It's kind of heavy, so I'll give a trigger warning. In 2013, I had uh, an attempted suicide, and it was one of those moments that was amazing. It was miraculous. It's how I met the Lord and how I became a Christian. Mm, wow. Then I went to church and was on like the spiritual high of like, yes, like my sins are forgiven. Jesus is here. He loves me. And then... I started experiencing depression all over again, but as a Christian, which was like really confusing to me. And when I tried to interact with the church about it, um, many people were just like, well, you need to pray more. You need to worship more. Or this is why you need to come to Bible study every Wednesday. Or this is why. And I felt this like shame. And I was just yeah. like, oh, Jesus loves me. The way people are responding to my mental and emotional struggles doesn't feel like love. So I saved up my money, my little college money, and your little coins. All my little coins, <laughs> and I found a Christian therapist, and yeah. I walked to her every Wednesday. Her name's Brooke, and I saw her, and she was amazing. She was awesome, but she was also a white woman as well, and she was amazing. And I think what I loved about Brooke is she made it clear. She was like, "I'm a white woman. I don't understand all of the experiences you have." And I loved that she just like said that and made it clear. Um, and that was the truth. And I lived in an area where there wasn't a single black Christian woman therapist. And that journey kind of put a fire in me to be like, I want to be this for somebody. Yeah. And so that's, that's like my introduction to the field. Yes, I love that. And I always love asking this question because I find that those, you know, like us who are in this work, it is often because we've either experienced something really deeply personally and we didn't get a good response or we didn't find the help that we needed. And so we wanted to go on like and become that person that we once needed. And that's what I hear from your story. You know, you wanted that intersectionality of someone who could meet could understand and meet you in your culture, your faith, and also understanding the aspects of mental health, you know, in a real way. And so you have 
come to embody that and be that for the next person. And I always think that's super inspiring and super important for people to hear that mental health professionals, that people in this field oftentimes have experienced some level of what you've experienced or of mental health challenges or someone who's super close to them. And that is oftentimes why we're in this field. So that is where the empathy, the compassion comes from. So um, thank you so much for sharing that and and being vulnerable in that way. So today we're talking about the fawn response, the fawn trauma response. You know, we popularly talk about fight or flight mode, you know, but for those who don't know or have never heard of the fawn trauma response, how would you explain that to people? What does that look like? Yes. So the fawn trauma response is, I think, a lesser known, lesser recognized trauma response that's really characterized by consistently abandoning your own needs to avoid conflict, criticism, disapproval, and disappointment of other people. Oftentimes, people who have experienced um, deep trauma interpersonally that is rooted in being punished for disappointing someone else, meaning that they, at some point, usually when they're a child, were inappropriately held responsible for someone's emotions that they shouldn't have had to deal with. Um, They learn, well, if I do the right thing, if I please people, if I do what's expected of me, if I show up in the way that people will love, if I make people proud, I will be safe. It's about pleasing people and abandoning your self-awareness and estranging yourself from your desires for the sake of being safe. Yeah, that's so real. And I'm sure so many of us hearing this now are be like, oh, that's what that was. You know, mm-hmm. like there's there's a name to that. And yeah. um, I know this is something that hits home with me uh, personally. You know, it's it feels like it's serving you in the moment. Um, <laughs> you know, I know I was like a chronic and we'll, we'll get into the faith aspect of this, right? Because like God has called us to be peacekeepers, right? Like you put that language out there and it's like, okay, I just have to be a peacekeeper. But it's like, am I being a peacekeeper or am I abandoning my righteous convictions, uh, boundaries, what have you? So thank you so much for sharing that. So like, let's talk about what, what might that look like? Um, can you give some examples of how the fawn response might look in a relationship or on the job, and I'm gonna leave a separate space for faith settings and spiritual language, yeah. So first, before I answer that, I wanna say the fun response is so insidious because it's not just about what you do, it's about what's motivating what you do. So it's not just, I really want to be good at my job because I have pride in the work that I do, it's I can't let my boss down because I don't want him to be angry at me because I can't deal with the disappointment of somebody else. and so. Sometimes it's easy to just list off. I think what separates the farm response from the fight, flight, freeze is that you can't just lift off like the symptoms and be able to say like, oh, that's the farm response. It really is about the internal motive of what you're doing. So what that could look like in relationships is whatever you want to do. I'm cool with whatever. Where do you want to eat? Well, where do you want to eat? I just want to do whatever, whatever, what does everyone else want to do? I'll just go with that. 
hey, I really want to go do this. And maybe a partner says, well, I don't want that. And then you're like, okay, never mind. That's fine. I don't want to do that either. It's this constant posture of acquiescing to what other people want because you're terrified that if there's any tension, you'll be unsafe or it'll trigger those emotions and those physical sensations of a lack of safety. On the job, and this is going to be hard for people to hear, on the job, it often looks like overperforming and overcommitting. And getting underpaid. I'm uh-huh. like slipping yes. that in there, right? <laughs> Absolutely. It's right. It's overcommitting, over over serving and being underpaid almost always because to stand up for yourself to say actually I deserve to be compensated a little bit more from the, for this that requires conflict tension uh, possibly disapproval if that person says no and if you struggle with the farm response you are not getting in the ring you know like Brene Brown talks about the rumble of like getting into those hard conversations you are not rumbling with nobody when you have a farm response but what it does it leaves you in a constant place of resentment um of jealousy and not a jealousy that is like oh I'm hating on this person but a jealousy of other people's freedom because you're seeing something that you long for you know the emotion of jealousy tells us when we're living incongruent with our values so we look at someone else and we get angry at them for them operating within their values because we're too afraid to operate within ours right Yeah, that's so good and so interesting. And like what comes to mind is when I think of fight or flight, it's something that it's like an emotion, really a visceral experience that happens in the moment for anxiety. But when I'm listening and hearing about the fawn response, that feels more like a lifestyle. Like, you know, where it's like, it's a chronic way of life rather than maybe just this visceral response. It's actually a way that you've adapted to life in your relationships and really thinking about where that comes from. Like where, where in your core beliefs did the belief begin that I am only as worthy as I am accepted or I'm only as worthy Mm -hmm. as people are approving of me? Um, and where does that come from? Or where did the role of peacekeeper come from? Like, where did that conditioning come from? Was it that you were in an abusive situation where you weren't protected and so you had to play peacekeeper? Or I know what happens a lot with children is that it's like, sometimes the child is expected to be the bigger person. Um, right. And it's like, rather than holding the actual perpetrator accountable, for and protecting your younger self but maybe you weren't protected so the way that you learned to cope and survive was to play peacekeeper right and everybody's situation is different but i think every with everything you're saying it does prompt the question for us of like where did where did it come from where did that core belief come from that we are only as worthy as we are accepted from people um and that being indifferent from people is a bad thing you know, because it's a reflection of our worth. I mean, yeah, and that's huge. Yeah, it is. I think that you saying it's a chronic response is so perfect because, you know, a lot of research shows that the fawn response is a response from chronic childhood trauma, right? And I, I tell my clients, sometimes your trauma is a boulder and it's big and it's huge and it's undeniable. And sometimes they're little pebbles that accumulate to the mass of a boulder, They have the same weight, they have the same density when all put together, but they appear different and one's harder, one is harder to track, right? And so the fawn response is often a result of the harder to track 
trauma, the more insidious, more personal, more contextual traumas that people experience. And I also think what makes this so difficult for people to recognize and let go of is the fact that people love it. Yeah, I was gonna say it serves you. Uh huh. It, yeah. It, and- it serves you as a person because it garners like favor and it garners you that like weird duality of being praised without being known. And then it also puts you in a position where other people see you as loving, self-sacrificing, loyal. And so engaging in this response may actually get you ahead in life, which makes it so hard to let go of. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey guys, we're going to get right back to the conversation because trust me, I know you'll want to hear the whole thing, but I quickly wanted to share with you this exciting new partnership I have with BetterHelp. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P. One of the questions I get asked a lot are how you can go about starting therapy. A number of you are located around the country and even around the world. And as helpful as I often like to be, sometimes I find myself limited in being able to provide the one-on-one resources that you need. Well, I'm happy to say that one option I can share with you today is BetterHelp's online therapy and counseling services with licensed mental health professionals. Since I know a lot of you guys want more faith-based counseling as well, I'm even more excited to share that they also have another service called Faithful Counseling, which has licensed Christian therapists and counselors who are certified by their state, where you can receive licensed counseling using your computer, tablet, or mobile phone through video calls, phone calls, or text messaging. So I use BetterHelp Therapy. I've been using it myself, and it's been super convenient, you know, between school, work, and really just having someone to check in with on a regular basis has been so important for my own mental health. So what happens is when you sign up, you'd be matched with a counselor in 24 hours or less, and you can securely message your counselor anytime, any day, you know, day or night, and get replies within 24 to 48 hours. BetterHelp also has group in our sessions every week where you can learn in groups directly from licensed counselors on multiple topics like relationships and ways to overcome anxiety. Uh, I also found out that financial aid is available for those who qualify and you can apply for financial aid during the sign up process. Hello. Additionally, listeners of the Faith and Mental Wellness podcast like you get 10% off of their first month using my specific link in the show notes below. And like I said, I know a number of you are around the world. BetterHelp is available worldwide. And if you want to get started and get matched with a counselor within the next 24 hours, I have links to both BetterHelp and Faithful Counseling in the show notes. I should mention that it is not a crisis line, okay? If you are experiencing a crisis, I have a link to all the crisis lines by country in the show notes as well. Check it out and let me know what you think. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. It seems so virtuous. Like yep. I was, I was posting uh, the other day about things that I thought were holy that were actually unhealthy, yes. right? Yes. And so, speaking of that, let's just dive right into the faith aspect of the fawn response because this is absolutely something that was close to my heart, right? Because you're conditioned with things like, you know. Um, yep. Forgive them as quickly as you want God to forgive you or, you know, um, turn the other cheek or God, we're supposed to be peacekeepers. We're supposed to keep the unity. Like there's all this language 
that ambassadors of reconciliation. Yeah, and it can cause us to disconnect ourselves or or sabotage ourselves, even in unhealthy and toxic situations, for something that seems spiritually pious but is inauthentic and actually out of context, not biblical at all. So yeah. let's just go there, like, because <laughs> I'm all about this conversation. Thoughts, thoughts on yes. the fawn response in faith settings. I think it's far more common than people think. Yeah. I think it's far, far more common than people think because, you know, when I'm serving my clients and I, and I primarily serve Christians, I find that people often use, like you said, those Christian platitudes, things like, oh God, not my will, but your will be done. Da, 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 da. And it's like, but you guys are forgetting that right before Jesus said, Lord, not my will, but your will, God, Jesus knew what his will was. Like he knew that he did not want to go to the cross. He knew how to verbalize it. And then he follows it up with not my will, but your will. And there's so many people who say things like not my will, but your will, but don't even know what their own desires are because they're estranged from them. Right. right? And this is what happens when we are in churches and we glorify the people who serve incessantly without checking their hearts to see if they're serving out of love or out of obligation and fear. Right. This is the, what happens when we love the person who is on the choir and in the children's ministry and volunteering for the soup kitchen. But we're not checking in with them person to person and saying, how are you? Right. And so what happens is um, on a macro scale, we glorify people who who give, telling them, oh, you're giving to us as if you're giving unto the Lord, which in some ways is true and beautiful. But then also is God happy with me when I give to the point of resentment? Isn't his word the word that says that I should give joyfully or not at all? And many times we're giving out of this resentment. We're giving out of this, oh, I have to. Or we're giving out of this, if I don't, God will or will not, right? Lots of clients we yeah. are they don't spend time with the Lord in the morning because they're like, oh, I really want to just be with God. They're terrified. Well, I have a really big meeting later on. So I have to spend God, time with God in the morning because if I don't do that, if I don't give him what he wants, like they see him as the abusive father. If I don't give him what he wants, he'll get really angry and he'll withhold this good thing from me later on today. Right. You know? And so we, we in the church, because sometimes we care more about what people do instead of who they are, we miss the opportunity to help them walk in the truth of freedom that God has for them. And then, this is where it's going to get a little spicy for somebody, we judge people when they're actually walking in the path of healing, especially if that path of healing doesn't serve our institutions. Sometimes totally. God is the one telling them to stay home and say no. Sometimes God is the one saying, telling them to withdraw from that ministry so that they can enter into intimacy with him. Sometimes God's telling them to put down all of their ministerial duties so that they can know what it means to be loved for who they are and not who they should be. And does the church support that institutionally? I would say, I think we can make more room. <laughs> we can make more room for, for healing in that place. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and once you deconstruct that, um, mm -hmm. it, that's where the freedom is. Um, yep. I, I had my church burnout days where I was in church three out of five days a week and I was volunteering and I wasn't paid or I'd be there all day, all three services, mm -hmm. kids ministry. Right. Yep. And, um, especially I think when you're like new in the faith, 
you're like, yeah. I don't know, almost trying to prove yourself, like prove your yeah. faith and prove your positioning. And, um, yeah. there's so much freedom in just being, um, I know when like my life kind of hit rock bottom and I was a newly single mom and I was trying to figure my life out, you know, I had to separate from what I am to others because we get our identity so much tied up in who we are and what we are to other people. And that's where our worth comes from. Um, Instead of really just resting in that, whether or not I do, whether or not I produce, I'm inherently worthy. You know, I, grace keeps me afloat. There's so much freedom in that. And it just brought to mind the scripture, um, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. It's like my favorite scripture to combat people pleasing. And Paul says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver, like you were mentioning earlier. But you can only give cheerfully or do things cheerfully if it's a place from genuine if it's a place from authenticity and literally scripture says you are giving based off of what you have already decided that you can do that means you've also inherently decided what you won't do or what you can't do so i always say the bible is an advocate of healthy living and healthy boundaries it just depends on which scriptures you're pulling out that day right (laughs) yeah it requires a sense of empathy. Yeah. Like to look at the scriptures and see that and think of the person who is giving and think about their heart more than their hand. Yeah. Right? Like, because I've seen people turn it into, well, you should decide to give as much as possible because hasn't God given to you so much? Hasn't God poured into you? And it's like, it's very easy to manipulate mm-hmm. uh, the scriptures to keep people away from the freedom we're trying to tell them that they have, which I think also makes um, people who experience the farm response feel so lonely, not only in their lives because they feel like they're ever working and ever serving people. It makes them lonely in their walk with God because it feels like they're being rewarded from God for being exhausted resentful and estranged from their own desires and it's yeah. not until they put those those things down and, and it's not until they engage in that recovery and recovery for someone in the farm response looks like asking yourself first what you would ask other people well what do you think stopping and saying what do i think absent of what other people are saying to me absent of what i think the church wants me to think or say Right? How do we live in spirit and in truth if we don't even know the truth that we're living, that we're embodying, right? So yeah. I, I 100%. Oh, totally. And it's like, I definitely lived in a fond response for so long, and mm-hmm. which I'm so glad we're having this conversation. And it's like, too, when you've been disconnected from your own voice for so long, for a while, you don't know what you should think or feel right? Like you don't even know what you should think or feel or how you should respond because you've based your responses for so long off of other people and how they respond to you. Or you've kind of, you, you kind of can become a chameleon, right? Where it's like, I just adapt to what other people think and say so that I'm accepted or praised for agreeing or whatever it is. And so that healing process really is this process of, reconnecting with yourself and reconnecting with your own voice and convictions. And it's really strange now that I think about it. I have heard spiritual language around like 
almost like not trusting yourself. They kind of use the verse of like, don't trust your own heart because it's wicked or what have yeah. you. But it's used out of context to mean like, don't yep. trust your own instincts or intuition. Only trust yeah. either what God's word says or what, you know, the what's being preached. But God has always also given us discernment, right? If the Holy Spirit lives within us, then yep. he has given us individual discernment for our yeah. circumstances that is yeah. also righteous and holy. Yeah. And I do think there is a language that disconnects in the faith world that disconnects us from ourselves and tells us for not sure. to trust ourselves, you know, and we just need more balance with that conversation because it, that's what leads to abuse and manipulation and burnout yep. and all the things because... Yep we don't even know how to listen to our own bodies, to our own convictions. Oh my goodness. You're like, and it connects to so many things. One of the things I often tell my clients is, you know, we always say this, Jesus died so that we might have everlasting life. The idea of might means that we have choice. And people always say the greatest gift that God has given us is the freedom of choice. Right. And we see that in, I think Genesis one or two, when Adam is, naming the animals, God doesn't say, and my will is that this animal is called a cow. And my will is that this animal is called a cow. He says, whatever you name it, that is what it will be called. God gives us that freedom, right? And I, I like have had to reframe for so many of my clients who are believers what the gospel is, obviously in a way that, that you know, teeters on the, the bonds of ethics, but having to say to them, okay, the gospel that says that you are bad makes our badness the hard drive, right? The badness is not the hard drive. It, it's the malware. Our hard drive is goodness. And right. Jesus comes and sin is the malware, right? And Jesus comes to restore us back to our original hard drive. And if we miss that, it, I, I just feel like the church doesn't realize how often we contribute to people's anxiety and mental health issues when we're telling them like, hey, if you harm yourself, you're in sin, but no matter what, you're evil and you're bad and you can't be trusted. And I had a client say something so profound that really got me diving into this. She was struggling with suicidal ideation and she said, if I'm evil, why does God care if I'm living or not? If I'm evil, like why does God care if I live or not? And I was like, you know, we can't just be flippant with the theology. We can't. And, you know, I think that's what I love about your podcast and your content is that, like, I think you very relatably, like, dig through the nuance of, the, like, the church platitudes that we can kind of blindly accept because we've just heard it so often. And for people in the fond response, you can get acquainted with your own needs. You can get acquainted with your own desires and a core part of the healing of, of the fond response is reorienting where your center of safety is. Because for many of us, our, our harm was in relationship. And so that's where our center of safety is, which causes us to think that we can develop or garner uh, safety in relationship, right? But when we reorient our center, center of safety to God, then we have the freedom to explore ourselves, explore the idea of what our desires are, and simultaneously hold on to the truth that we are safe. You know? Yes. A corrective emotional experience. We yes. love that. And 
I'm going to ask, I want to talk about some practical ways to heal. But before I go there, I'm going to ask something I probably should have asked first, but that's okay. We do everything organically here. (laughs) So why is it called the fawn response? Like for those who are wondering like fawn response, what does a fawn have to do with like trauma and all of this that you're talking about? I think sometimes when we know the name of it, it helps us click the vocabulary. I don't know. Yeah. So I think of a deer. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Like a deer. And like you think about like a, a fawn is always under like its mom. Right. Yeah always near it's always like looking around it can't stand on its own its dependence is deeply attached to another person right and and that's appropriate for an actual fawn if you're a deer if you're a bambi right but you are not bambi but and also in the in the more um characteristic way the word fawn means to like pour affection over someone right and the reason why we're talking about this farm response is this is about pouring affection over someone in a way that's inauthentic to your internal perspective of who they are. This is not pouring affection over someone or, or pouring favor over someone because you love them. It's pouring favor over someone because you're afraid of them. Right. It's, and it's a form of interpersonal. And when I say manipulation, I don't mean that in like the evil way. I mean that yeah. in the most fundamental sense of the word. It's about knowing that someone won't change and saying, I must change to please this person so that I can survive. Yeah. Right? It's kind of like manipulating the response, Ooh, even yeah. unintentionally. Right. Yeah. And um, that's so interesting. That's so, yeah, there's so much there. There's so much there with the whole fauna response. And mm-hmm. so let's talk about ways to heal. I know we kind of mentioned the importance of reconnecting with our voice, our convictions and healthy boundaries. And I just wanted to throw out there something that you said, you know, is that a lot of times the harm is in relationships. So we do talk about how healing is also in relationship and, you know, refinding a safe space to get reconnected with your voice. So therapy obviously is a really great space. Um, But, you know, I found that it was really important for me to surround myself with people and friends who I could fully be myself with. I needed to be either in a support group setting or a friendship group setting where I didn't have to put on a mask, where I didn't have to be in agreement all the time, where I didn't have to camouflage and to blend in all the time and experience people loving and accepting me as I am, even when I think, feel, believe differently. And that I'm still worthy of love and belonging, even when my convictions stand apart. Um, I think it was really healing to intentionally put myself in safe spaces and experience that. And that's why we call it a corrective emotional experience because it's one thing to journal about it, like it's one thing to talk about it, but I feel like until you embody that experience it it clicks for you where it's like oh i there are people who around me who love me even in spite of me thinking feeling believing differently and i don't have to chronically please in order to be loved and those Mm -hmm. are two separate things absolutely so much of recovery and fond response, um, and Andy Colbert talks about this in her book, Try Softer, this pendulation, which is also the formula for resilience, is like this uh, this ebb and flow of, of like pushing yourself into um, reliable and, um, 
attainable stress and then back into safety, right? So this doesn't mean walking up to your lead pastor and saying everything you preach is terrible and I don't trust you and I'm leaving this church, but it may mean something as small as saying after church or wherever you are, hey, actually, I think I want to go here instead of there. Even if it doesn't end up going your way, being able to vocalize that, because what you say about that embodied response, it's, I think we have to remember our sociological interactions are biological and physiological and hormonal like combinations, right? That there's a reason why say, like imagining someone say I love you is different than actually experiencing it because you're building new neurological pathways that give your brain a new option of action, right? And that's why when we're in the farm response, we're taking small steps to like dig that road of new possibility of actions. So it starts with getting clear with what I want in a very simple way. What do I want to wear? So when I was, and I still am in my recovery of this farm response, it was a year and a half ago. Yeah, it was the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. And the Lord said, every Monday, you're not working. And from sunup that. to sundown, you're going to do what you want. Oh, yeah. With like, my time with the Lord, I was like, okay, Jesus, like, I like this. Yeah. I was miserable. I, like God did it to expose how completely estranged I was from any of my own desires. Right. What do you want to eat, babe? What do you think the kids want? You think the kids will want to eat this? You want to see this? Like my entire life revolved around just as long as everyone around me is okay, I'm okay. And how many times have we heard that as Especially women? Especially as moms like, and wives, right? You throw that mix in. You throw the, the, the female mix in, but that's another podcast. So. Yes. But like and how women are socialized. Yeah. That's yes, another so how we're social, and we and we're we praise that, right? And and society praises that. As as long as we were okay, my mom was fine. And like actually that's not holy. That's not good. That's not beautiful. And so a lot of the farm response recovery, like what you said, is yeah. also figuring out what actually makes you feel safe. Because just because you know what makes you feel unsafe does not mean you know what makes you feel safe. And so I love that you said, like, intentionally finding places where I feel safe. For you, safety is freedom to be authentic. And so once you define what it is, you can clearly discern what doesn't align with that. And then you can set boundaries based on that to protect your space of recovery as you learn to develop more authenticity and freedom, you know? And then at some point, like all things that we repeat, it becomes... Second the way nature. of life. Yeah. Because yeah. I always say like who I am today is like totally different than the Britney you would have gotten like 10 years ago or even yeah. five to 10 years ago. I was a comp- yeah. just, I was totally in fawn, but it's side note. It made me think of the scene from coming to America with Eddie Murphy and he's yeah. about to meet his new wife. Who's basically yeah. been groomed to be his wife in this arranged marriage. Uh-huh. And they kind of groomed her to be like the perfect wife for him because in coming to America, Eddie Murphy's like the prince. So he goes to try to meet this woman and he's like, what do you like to eat? And she's like, whatever you like. And she's like, like, what do you like to do? And she's like, whatever you like to do. And she's like, that scene just like stuck in my head. I was like, that's it right there. Yeah. 
Like oh all her God. responses are like, whatever you like, whatever yep. you like to do, whatever. And yep. he was like, no, you're like a shell. Yeah, like, a- no, okay. uh, he walked away. But um, what's what's interesting is because I was aware that that was my way of life in the fawn response, just constantly appeasing others. Now, when I'm in group settings and I kind of pick up that someone is not fully verbalizing themselves or they're not fully speaking up with themselves or I can tell across their expression or face or something, they may not agree with something or I won't like call them out or put them on blast. Or yeah. if it seems like someone's being pressured, I actually yeah. will be that person that'd be like, okay, pause, wait guys, one second. Like, how do you really yeah. feel? Like, be honest. Like, I will totally, but casually pull that yeah. out because I'm that type of person where in my friend group or if so, I just sense that someone's being pressured and I know that I would be the type of person that might just nod or not say anything back in the day, you yep. know, I check in with people and I'm like, how do you really feel? Like, be honest yeah. or like, or I'll, I'll straight up say like, you don't have to do this if you don't want to. Like, yeah. and I think it goes back to being that person that you once needed. I don't know if you've experienced mm-hmm. that as well, but I'm totally that person where I'm like, I check in with people now to make sure yep. that they are really answering according to how they feel and their convictions, even whether or not I agree or disagree, because yeah. I know what it's like to live in that space. Yeah. And what you're talking about is when you've experienced something, you can sense it. You can spot it from a mile away. It's like a spidey sense. You're like, you're not okay. You're not, you're yeah, thinking, yeah. okay, let's go, let's go, gra- we're going to go get something. We'll be right back. Right. And like, I think that is what is so powerful about the healing process and, and finding people who are open and honest about what they've been through. Because when we are isolated, we don't have that life, that, you know, that lifesaver. We don't have someone to say, I see you and I'm going to help you get out of that. Because like many of us know, it's hard to do it by yourself. It's hard to even identify, much less figure out a path to recovery. Exactly. But when you have someone who's been there, who can say what you've thought or what you what you're feeling in a situation without you telling them I've been there like that sense of safety of like oh my god I'm not crazy I'm not like like I'm not losing it like that is something that I have felt is feeling like I'm not losing my mind everything on the outside looks good everyone loves me but I don't feel happy Mm-hmm. You know? and you just become that safe space for others because you know what it felt like to once need that safe space. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you love to, I don't know about you, but I love to be that person. Yeah. Like, I'm totally you know, I'm like, I, I love to be like, you know what? I see you. I'm with you. Let's figure this out. And yeah. And it's amazing. There are moments in my life now that I feel like, I almost feel like my younger self is like, get it, girl, get it, girl. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> moments where I'm like, I would acquiesce instead of, Saying like, let me think about this. Coming mm-hmm. back and saying, no, I don't like this, or no, I don't yeah. agree with this. Yeah, I was gonna say, like you said, it's like a muscle because the more you exercise it, the stronger it gets. So now I'm at a place where I'm like, I don't care whether you agree or not, or disagree or not, or what. You, like this is how I feel. Like this is the conviction. Yeah, this is what I believe, and whether you accept that or not has nothing to do with my worth. Um, and, you know, but it took just time and practice. And honestly, I'll just yeah. throw age out there, uh, to get oh, there. Yeah. Some, some of it's age, not always, but I think some of it is like, I, I know yeah. I spent a lot of my twenties just figuring out who I was in the world and how I moved through the world and how I just 
feel about myself and all of that. And yep. then I went through so much and like healed yep. from so much and rediscovered mm-hmm. the voice and convictions to now, you know, in my thirties, it's like, you know, you get a whole different, like whole different mm-hmm. brilliance, like, but that was healing. That was growth. Yeah. And I do hope and pray that someone mm-hmm. gets it earlier <laughs> than their thirties. Yeah, um, something that it. came to mind as like, what's been helpful for me as an immediate kind of prompt to get out of the fawn response is just having like a prompt of it's interesting that this person thinks this way how do i feel about it like sometimes Mm -hmm. i just have to give myself prompts even if it's not in person it could be social media you know social media always has something for us to react to every day and people want an immediate response to events immediate but it takes time to develop our thoughts and feelings around things or even just research around things to be more informed about how we feel about things and i think in a reactive culture where we feel pressured to either automatically agree or automatically disagree or automatically put something out there i actually feel that the more high volume something is the more i take a step back because the more i want to think about it more so yeah. sometimes I just use those prompts of like, oh, it's interesting that this was said, or it's interesting mm-hmm. that this person feels this way and just acknowledging it now yeah. shifting to what do I think about it? What do I feel yeah. about it? But because we are individuals with individual thoughts, feelings, and convictions, and we are allowed yeah. our own individual process. And so... Yeah. I think if anything, just putting out there, like you are allowed your own individual process to come to a conclusion about what you think, feel, and believe, regardless of those around you, you're allowed that innately in your being. Yep. Are there any words you would say for someone who tends to fall into this response? Yes. So one, I love that because you saying it's interesting that blank, right? It's, it's interesting that they said blank. I love that because it it practices non-judgment while giving your space yourself space to figure out what you feel. And I love that because exactly. part of our culture as well is like, that's a terrible because, or that's wrong because, or that's stupid because, or well, that's right because right. Say, it's interesting. Like I, I moved by it. I'm not sure in which direction, but let me figure out where I... Yeah, I ascribe any judgment to what anyone else is doing. So I love that. So good. Yeah. Um, Two, something I often ask myself and my clients to ask themselves is, what am I feeling in my body? Yes. What am I feeling in my body? Because sometimes our brain can move faster than our... Um, our actual judgment, our like heart level, core level judgment. Sometimes we can say, I'm fine, I'm fine, but there are tears in our eyes, right? And stopping and saying, what do, what do I feel in my body? Yeah. And saying things like, oh, my, my heart's beating really fast. Actually, my palms are a little bit sweaty. And investigating what we feel about something through the physiological sensations that they arise. Because if you're having the same physiological sensations in this conversation as you do when your abusive parent is around, then maybe you aren't fine. Maybe that's not the language for it. And it's okay if it takes time for you to develop the language that aligns with the reality of your embodied experience. I freaking love embodiment, first of all. Like this is absolutely true and so good and I really appreciate you bringing up the embodied part because a part of being disconnected from ourselves is being disconnected from our body and our bodily sensations because we've numbed them for so long and 
getting to that place where, and you know, it took me a while to get to a place where it's like, oh, my body reacted. Oftentimes your body will react before your mind really gets to process like what it's reacting to. Um, It could even just be like you're sitting in, uh, I don't know, a speaking session or you're sitting in something and something was said that you don't agree with and it hits your body or something was said that actually pricks your convictions that you need to change and it hits your body. Or Uh it's spoken truth to something that you've been storing, but you haven't expressed yet, and it hits your body. And I really do believe, I know the term trust your gut is overused. I don't know how I feel about that term. I do think Mm -hmm. that it's important to trust your intuition and discernment, but also feelings aren't always, they feel real and they're valid, but that doesn't mean they're always a true assessment of the situation. So, um, you know, but I do believe that, the gut does respond. I do believe your body does respond to certain things. And if you are feeling something, if there's something that someone said or something that was preached or something that just was spoken and it hit your body in some type of way, or you felt uncomfortable, like trust what you're feeling, trust the discomfort, but allow yourself to explore what that is more. Um, but your body responded for a reason. It, I totally believe in that. Yep. I, I often tell my clients, your emotions are the check engine light of the soul. That's it right there. Yes. Your emotions are the check engine light of the soul. Of your soul. Like, so good. It's about you stopping, popping the hood and looking deeper. It's signaling that, it's, that there's something that you need to look at. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's something you need to do in the moment based on that that light, but it does mean you need to figure out where that light's coming from and what it's connected to. Exactly. And I think one thing I wish, um, I want people to know is like the core of our anxiety receptors in our bodies is actually not in our brain, it's in our intestines. Yep. Our vagus nerve, the longest nerve in our body that goes from the base of our, of our brain all the way to our intestines releases endorphins when we feel unsafe, when we feel scared, when we feel excited as well, right? Yep. When we feel all the things that are adjacent to anxiety, which is really at its core anticipation, whether it's positive or negative, that yep. is in your gut. And then when we think about it from a Christian perspective in the ancient Near Eastern culture, they believed the core of your emotional being was in your stomach, mm, right? I they believed that. that it was in your stomach for a reason. And I just... Like you said, I love embodiment because the Holy Spirit lives in our physical body as a temple. That means the Holy Spirit communicates to us in our physical body of our temple. And that's why it matters that we get acquainted with the physical sensations that are attached to the emotional realities we have. I always tell my clients, and I said to my friend the other day, I said, I don't, people in the church often say like, oh, like, don't listen to your feelings or your feelings are evil or you can't trust your heart. I literally do not know a single person who could tell me the reason why they came to Christ without the word feel. Mm-hmm. We sense the presence of Christ in our bodies, and that's what moves us to trust him with our hearts. Right? So we can't pick and choose when <laughs> when the body is alive and active and operating for our general well-being and not. Yep. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So thank you so much, guys. Yep. I really hope that, gosh, I really hope that this conversation brought some awareness. If you have found yourself, I, I don't think that we even associate this as a trauma response. It took me so long 
to connect because we may have labeled it as people pleasing for so long or as just being agreeable or easy to get along with or we have all these terms for it but Mm. I don't think we really get to a place for a while to connect that oh wait no this was a trauma response I was in some type of environment maybe when I was younger where I was conditioned to operate in this way because it served me and this was the Mm. only way I stayed safe honestly like right this is the only way I stayed safe in my environment was by being a peacekeeper and agreeable because if I wasn't it wasn't safe for me yeah so it, and it served you for a reason it was there for a reason and that wasn't a bad thing that's how you survived but yes. literally trauma is when we're still using those same coping mechanisms in situations where it's no longer necessary or applicable um, but we're still living in those trauma responses and so Great. healing i always say this i always say like Heal Brittany is going to respond to this, right? Like when the other, like when all the other like embedded, you know, unhealed wounds are responses, I pause. Heal Brittany is going to respond to this. I love Trauma that. Brittany is not going to respond to this. Take it back Whatever to you. prompts you need. <laughs> yes, that's so real. And, and what you're saying that I, like, I pray whoever's listening takes away from this is not all trauma responses look negative. Exactly. Not all trauma responses look negative. Like you may be praised for the things that break your heart and God may want you to walk away from the things that make you seem more holy, but there is something greater than the appearance of holiness. And that's the experience of freedom. And we are going to leave it there. I'm not going to add <laughs> or take away from that. Thank you so much for spending your time with us, for sharing this, for all that you do. Can you let us know how we can stay connected with you? Anything new that you have going on? What's going on in your world and how can we stay connected to it? Yes, absolutely. So you can follow me on all socials at Kobe Campbell underscore. I'm currently working on my forthcoming book, which comes out next April. Yay! Um, process and how grueling it is. So excited for you. Thank you. And... I'm actually in the process of getting ready to launch my new membership community. Um, it's going to be a mental health and faith community to help people deepen their relationship with God while recover from the heartbreak of the past. So uh, stay connected on social media and you can learn more about that. Okay. And we have all the links to her social media in the bio. So you guys can click and stay tuned. Thank you guys so much. You know, if you enjoyed this conversation or it touched you in any way, or there were any takeaways, please share with us either uh, leave us a review or leave it in the comments. We're always sharing on social media as well. And we'd love to hear from you. Thanks guys. Until next time. Bye, y'all.